This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you need a Bible, raise your hand so you can follow along with us in 1 Peter. We're going through the book of 1 Peter in our glorious expectations study through the book. And I have a couple other announcements for you before we get into it. These ones I wanted to let you know about personally. Um, First of all, we have an IBS seminar coming up. It's a crash course in IBS. IBS is inductive Bible study. It is a tool for you to be able to dig in deeper in studying the Word. And it, I, I've, I've uh, taken many classes of how to study the Bible. I took a hermeneutics class with Pastor Tommy back in 2003. Uh, I've, I've seen many different methods. IBS is a method that I still use today. So this course we have, it's going to be a crash course, March 8th through the 11th from 6 to 8, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night. This is a course that we are not charging you for. Uh, There's no buy-in to it, but I want you to want to dig into God's Word. So take this tool that we want to equip you with so you can better dig into the Word of God. My good friend, Pastor Jeremy Foster, is coming out here to do this class. Jeremy, um, I know him from our European days. Jeremy is the pastor at Calvary Chapel in the Ozarks in Arkansas. He was the director of the Bible College in Hungary for a number of years. He was a missionary in the UK for a couple of years as well. So Jeremy is a is a blessing. You guys are going to be blessed in this course. So I encourage you to sign up at the information station after the service because I know that you will be blessed in that. We're in First Peter, and I have to say that. I've been looking forward to this for since the end of last year. Man, and today, (laughs) there's one verse that I have been rolling around in my mind and meditating on since the time that I decided to go through 1 Peter that I'm so excited to share with you guys today. And you might not be happy with me because of that, but I guarantee that if you embrace it, that you will be joy-filled and you will be blessed. Amen? Because it's God's word to us for our benefit in all things. So we have this First Peter series, Glorious Expectation. The first study that we did a couple weeks ago in the introduction was titled Living Hope. And it was chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, say abundant mercy with me. Abundant mercy? You guys know what mercy is? According to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Say living hope. You guys are not alive right now. Say living hope. Living, it's a hope that's alive, that it's not dead, that we are moving forward in this hope. That was a couple weeks ago. And today's glorious expectation, the title of the message is Resting Hope. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, 
and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God wants you to have an expectant, resting hope. He does not want you to have an anxious expectation. Because it's like a contradiction of terms, oxymoron. Anxious expectation. He wants you to have a resting expectation. We're going to talk about that as we get toward the end of the study. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll jump into chapter 1, verse 6. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all the blessings that you've been raining down on us recently with the snow and the rain and, and you making streams in the desert. God, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that you blessed us with a blessed worship team. Lord, we thank you for each one of those members that, that does unto you worships you with us, offering you the fruit of their lips. And we want that to be our heart in singing those songs. It's not just words that, that we're worshiping you with the fruit of our lips, what comes from the depths of our soul. God, we thank you for the studying and the application of your word. And we want to take it seriously. We don't just want to read and forget what we read when we walk away, but we want to apply it to our lives, that you would be glorified. And we pray, Father, that you would bless the tithes and offerings today that are given to you, and that it would be in a heart of worship towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Is it, are you guys hot? Is it warm in here? Isaiah, could you get the key from Stephanie and turn the, uh, turn the AC on? <laughs> Amen. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, these verses are tremendous. Now, what I'm going to do is, what we just read, we're going to break down into seven points this morning, okay? So if you're a note taker, get ready so you can see the seven points that we're going to make. But first of all, before we start those points, we have to take a look again at the beginning of verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. In what you greatly rejoice? Well, to get the context of what he's talking about and to further elaborate on it, we have to back up to verses uh, 4 and 5. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. In what? 
in the fact that you have an inheritance promised to you that you have an expectation in for the future. See, how you view what you go through today is a direct reflection of what you believe is going to happen tomorrow. If your expectation in God for tomorrow is positive, then your experience and what you do and say today is going to be positive. And this is in direct contrast to the way that the rest of the world works, right? They are not expecting in good things for tomorrow. They are struggling with, let's pass these new laws so these, these shootings stop happening and this stops happening and that's that. We got to prepare for this. And oh man, California's been in a drought and now the dam's going to break and everybody's going to lose their houses. You guys read that? There's an expectation of difficulty in the future. And because their expectation for tomorrow is bleak, their attitude today is poor. It's poor. I just read another news article that said, according to modern day science, it is predicted that the end of the world is coming soon. How many of you, how long have you guys been waiting for the end of the world? Long time? I feel like I was born the next day. Somebody was like, end of the world's coming, little Timmy. It's 1981. We're all going to die. Don't do the math. Expectation has always been bleak. But you, Christian, you, Jesus, follower, disciple, should have a glorious expectation of the future. And if it's not for today, in the flesh, in the, you know, not in the negative sense, but in the body, it's for eternity. And then we look at our seven points here. Point number one, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Yeah, difficult times come. Y'all ever been through difficult things before? Difficult times come, but it's only for a season. It's only for a little time. But when we're in that, doesn't it seem like it's going to be forever? Isn't it easy to sink down into it and say, you know what? I'm never going to get through this. I'm always going to be struggling with this. No, listen, it's only for a season. It's just for a time. Though you've been struggling for a little while, maybe you will be, but it's for a little while. And if it's not just the context of your life, which is 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, if you're lucky, 90 years, what does that compare to eternity? 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 20, whatever. Eternity is forever. I hate to break it to you. And we've been promised difficulty not for our whole lives, even though maybe some of us have had difficulty our whole lives, but we see seasons of difficulty that we go through. And God wants us to take comfort and know that the trials and difficulties we go through are but temporary. They're temporary now, and they're temporary in the grand scheme of things when taking eternity into consideration. Amen? They're temporary. Don't worry about it. Point number one, though for a little while, even though it's seasonal, not lasting, temporary, especially in light of eternity. And then we get to the next point. Point number two, 
And this is it, guys. Get ready. This is, this is my heart. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be. <laughs> Those three little words have changed my complete life. Do you know why? Because these three words give us divine perspective. And I'm so grateful to God for them because how easy it could have been to just not have those two little commas there and it, that if need be included. But do you know what God wants you to understand about the difficulties of trial and tribulation that you go through? Do you know another way you can translate if need be? In fact, the ESV translates it this way. If it's necessary. If need be. So what, wait, what I'm telling you is the trials and tribulation that you go through, God sees as a necessity. We're not asking what you think or how you see your difficulties and trials. God sees them as a necessity in your life, as in it must take place. Do you get it? Does that change your perspective when you're thinking about, oh, this difficulty I'm going through, it's so hard, and my job, and my house, or this relationship, it's so hard. But God says, I want you to go through this because I see it in your life as a necessity. And then I say, wait, I can do one of two things. No, God! It's not a necessity, and God says it is. And if I receive it as a necessity, I say, God, if you think that I have to go through this, if this is necessary for me, then what is it going to do? It's going to change my perspective. I'm going to say, well, God, if you say that I need to go through this, if you say it's necessary, if it's needed to be, then I'm okay with that. Wait, that, if, if this is necessary for me, then this is good. So you can't be joyful in things that you don't see as a necessity in your life. If it's not necessary, it robs you of your joy. If you see this as something that God has ordained for you as a necessity, then there's no bad news connected to it, right? It's a necessity. It's necessary. No matter how I want to feel about it in the flesh. I got this picture while I was thinking about this. I, like I said, I've been mulling this over for, for quite a while and just trying to wrap my head around the necessity of trials and tribulations. And, and, I, and I came up, I, I saw this picture. I saw a newborn baby and a mother holding her newborn baby and, and shaking, you know, holding the baby. There's a family in our church that just had another baby and we went to see them last night, took them dinner, got to hang out a little bit. And I was just looking at this precious little baby in, in her mom's arms and just, just her mom taking care of her. And the mom, you know, has her all wrapped up tight because babies like that, you wrap them up tight. And, 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 and then you're holding them and then, oh, oh, baby, baby. You did a poo-poo. <laughs> and, and the mom takes the baby and lays it out gently on the ground and starts to unwrap the baby and starts to take its clothes off or un unbuckle it, whatever you unbutton it and unbuckle. I don't know how many babies you got buckled, but we used to buckle our babies. So you take the diaper off. And how does the baby respond to that? I was so warm and 
and comfortable and filled. And I just made a squishy that made my bum bum warm. And why are you doing this to me? And the mom says, baby, baby, baby. It's just for a little while because it's necessary for you. It's necessary for you for a little while to be uncomfortable so I can address things in your life that need to be addressed. I don't want them addressed. I was fine before I didn't ask you to change my diaper. Baby, you're kind of stinky. And I have to address these things in your life. It's a necessity. What caring parent... I'll throw you dads in there. What caring parent does not... How many of you were babies before? What caring parent neglects to change a dirty diaper? Do you know what happens if you don't address the stinky? It can harm the baby to the point of infection and even death. What we see as uncomfortable... What we see as difficulty and hardship and tribulation, God looks at our lives and he says, baby, it's necessary. It's necessary for you. I know you don't understand it. It's just for a little while. And I'm going to wrap you back up and I'm going to hold you tight and I'm going to care for you. But all we want to dwell on in that process is the discomfort of the procedure. But through the trial and the hardship, God identifies it as a necessity. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the dysphoria. The dysphoria means those who were dispersed. He's talking about Jewish people, but also we see in Acts there are also Christians that were driven out of their homes, driven out of their families, driven out of their careers, driven out of their communities because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? I don't know how many of you have been driven out of your homes. I don't know how many of you have been driven out of your careers. That's probably more probable. Or your communities, maybe. But if what we go through today and what we consider trials and tribulation can compare to that, then how much more is it or how much the same is it a necessity for you and for me? No, it's not comfortable. Yes, I want it to end quickly. God's promise to you, number one, is that it's going to be for a little while. But don't worry about it. Number two, if it needs to be, if God sees it necessary. Number three, if it's, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. This word grieve is, is uh, an interesting word. It, it means to have to give yourself over to trials or tribulations or be submitted to them, knowing that there's an outcome to them. Say with me, there's an outcome. There's an outcome. Origen, who was an early church father, said this about this word grieve here in 1 Peter. Origen said, read grieve in this verse in the sense of suffer, as in, in grief you shall bring forth children. For a woman experiences grief, not in bearing children, but in rather 
but rather in suffering before birth. Now, you and I would say, wait a minute, Origen. Women suffer in childbirth, yeah, but the grieving process of the process happens the entire pregnancy. Can I get a witness? I've never been pregnant before, but I've heard pregnant women talk, <laughs> if you know what I mean. There's, there's a grieving process. I have to go to the bathroom all the time. I hurt all the time. I don't sleep, blah, blah, whatever. There's a grieving process, but it's towards an expectation that I'm going to have a little baby that's mine. So if you have a godly expectation, a hope in him, then whatever grieves you in this process of trial and tribulation right now will have an outcome that is glorious, which means you should have a glorious expectation in God. Amen? We should have a glorious expectation in God, though we may be grieved by, by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, number three, was grieved by various trials, distressed by difficulties. Number four, the genuineness of your faith. Your faith is proven. You ever hear the term, put your money where your mouth is? <laughs> Let's see if you really back up who you say you are. Now, God does this with us. He says, hey, Christian, Let's put your money where your mouth is. Let's put you in a situation that is pressing, that is pressured, that is difficulty, that's going to reveal who you really are. Now, God doesn't do this for his benefit because he already sees it. He knows you, stinker, stinky diaper pants. He knows you. He doesn't do it for other people's benefit. He's not like, hey, look at this little stinky kid. Look how terrible he is. No. He does it for your benefit because you say you think you believe something or you say you do believe something and God puts you in a position that proves what you really believe. And hopefully, if it doesn't meet what you thought you believed, there would be an adjustment Oh man, I responded the wrong way in that situation. I responded in that situation contrary to what I say I believe. Have ever, has anybody ever done that like 15 times a day? I responded in a way that's contrary to what I believe. Therefore, going forward, I will make an adjustment so I don't do that anymore. God says, great job. The genuineness of our faith. I like, instead of using the word test, which is fine, I like the word proved, proven. It's like a, a positive, you know. Tests for me were always negative. <laughs> in, in, in high school, don't even talk about tests. Later on when I was in the Lord, it was different. I liked studying. I liked studying the word. But tests, negative connotation, proven, positive. I went into lids to get a new lid. You guys know what lids are? Lids is. Lids is a store that sells hats. And I went into Lids to get myself a lid. I needed one. And there was a guy there. I was talking to him. He was cool. He was from New York. And he seemed like he, you know, he'd been in the industry. In fact, he said he had been. And I'm like, listen, hat guy, I got a hat question for you. I've been wondering this for years. I think I shared this with you guys before. 
I've been wondering this for years. I got a question, it's, it, I'm, and I, I need to know the answer. He said, what is it? And I said, why do people buy a brand new hat and put it on their lid and leave a big, nasty, stupid sticker on it? That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. First thing I do when I get a new hat is take off the sticker. He's like, oh, you don't know why? I'm like, I don't know why. And I don't get it. First thing I do, anything brand new I got, it's got stickers on it, stickers are off. In fact, I have a little OCD. If, if I'm sitting, uh, you know, I'm sitting down having a meeting with somebody one, one time uh, a little bit ago and they had their water bottle and, and it wasn't even new. It was just a water bottle. They hadn't taken the, the stickers off the water bottle, like not just ones that you put on, like this is a water bottle that's one quart, you know, that kind of stuff. And I like reached over to grab it and start peeling the stickers off. They're like, no, no, no. I'm like, why did you leave the stickers on? Anyway, do you know what he said to me? I, I, I got off track there. He said the sticker's there to show that it's authentic and genuine. And I'm saying, wait a minute, hold on. You're telling me that somebody buys a hat, they pay way more money for it than a knockoff, and they leave the sticker on to show you that they paid more money for a hat that they could have gotten for cheaper. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. But do you know what they want you, on, on, on a lighter note, do you know what they want you to know? They want you to know that they value that hat. They want you to know that it's genuine, that it's authentic. The sticker has proven to you something about it that is important for them to convey to you. Do you know God wants to put his sticker on you? He wants to say, this lady, this guy, is mine, and they are authentic. They are genuine. They are the real deal. Therefore, I will take them through the process. Not only will I prove that their faith is genuine, but I, my heart, my desire, is that they will have joy through the process. Back to the first verse 6. Rejoice. Rejoice for your expectation in the future, your inheritance, and God's intentions for you through the process of trial and tribulation. Rejoice. Do you know what rejoice means? It's to be joyful again. Rejoice. Or a continual state of joy. But I don't feel like that. I'm like the baby that gets unwrapped. Wow, oh, no, why are you doing this, God? Baby. It's just for a little while because I'm going to put my sticker on you and I'm going to raise, I'm going to grow you up. And not only are you going to know that your faith is authentic, but those around you are going to know it. And I'm going to give you a joy that looks different from everybody else in the rest of the world. We're going to get to that a little bit more about that in a few minutes that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. What does this part of the verse talk about? This is our number five, more precious than gold. What is gold? Gold's good. Gold, uh, if you have any gold that you don't want, I would be happy to take it personally, you know, just for me. Why? Because gold has value. Gold is one of the highest rated 
things of value on the earth. And, and God is saying, one of the most valuable things that you can have on earth is not even to be compared with what your faith is. Your faith is greater than gold, which perishes. Why? Because gold is temporary. Your faith is eternal. It's forever. And if gold is tested, if gold is tried, if gold is purified, how much more should your faith be? Should your faith be proven as genuine so that your faith is proven to you, not to God, that you are who you say you are? More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we have uh, number five, more precious than gold. Number six, Tested by fire, how much more should your faith be tested if gold is refined and tested? And then number seven, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at Jesus' revelation. Do you know what praise, honor, and glory are indicative of? Praise, honor, and glory are fruits of your faith. Fruits of your faith will produce praise, honor, and glory towards God. Especially, it says there, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine? Can you? Don't even try. Don't, don't even sing the song in your head. I can only imagine. Because you can't. You cannot imagine what it's going to be like to stand before Jesus. Can you even try to imagine? I can't. I get, I get. Goose pimples, that's what the British call them. It's interesting, that's why I say it. To stand before Jesus with his hands pierced and his, his side sliced and his feet and to know that he paid the ultimate price for me. He shed his blood so that I could see him. And then me and Jesus, with my arm around his shoulder, if I can say that, standing before the throne of God and God looking and, and, and saying, this is my son who I am well pleased so he could bring his friend Tim to heaven to be with me. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't even imagine. Praise, honor, and glory. Do you think any of you are going to be like, yeah, Jesus died for me because he knew I was super cool and I deserved it. You get any Praise. You get any honor? You get any glory? No. You know why? Because it's just for God's grace that you're standing there. Grace, the cornerstone of your faith. What is the definition of grace? You know it, church. Unmerited favor, which means you do not deserve it. Verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. How many of y'all love Jesus? Man, I love Jesus. You haven't seen him, but you love him. The world does not understand. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end 
of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you love how joy is threaded through this epistle that focuses on hope and expectation in God through trial and tribulation? I love it. God wants us to not only have joy, not only have joy, say, say joy inexpressible. Thank you, Dustin. You guys are fired. You're all fired. Not much joy here this morning. He wants you to have joy inexpressible. And full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As much as you're having a good time right now, are you having a good time in life right now? You have to be. Man, God is so good. Even in the trial, the tribulation, even in the difficulty, have joy, rejoice. Because you have an expectation in God for tomorrow. You know his character. You know who he is. His word is sure and his promises are yes and amen today, now. Now this is important and I want you guys to, to think about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul's talking about uh, two different kinds of people. He's talking about the carnal man and he's talking about the spiritual man. This is what it says. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. What does that verse mean in context of what we're talking about? If you are a spiritual person, meaning you are submitted to God in his Holy Spirit, you will understand the things that you're going through are for a purpose. And you will embrace those things and joy will come from your life because you have a glorious expectation in God for tomorrow. If you are a carnal person, <laughs> sorry, Sorry if there's any carnal people in the house. Got any carnal people in the house? Well, I can be carnal sometimes. In your carnality, there is no distinguishing the difference between something that you're going through that's bad or negative and, and the connection to God has you going through it for a purpose. There's a disconnect. I can't see how God could use this for good. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever said that? I can't see how God could use this for good. Listen, carnal person... <laughs> Get your mind out of the temporal and let's tap into the eternal. Submit yourself to the Spirit of God and by submitting yourself to the Spirit of God, become a spiritually minded person and you will be able to discern all things. All things? Well, I think all the answers, I know all the answers are in here. So if God says to me, hey Tim, this is what the process looks like, and I'm going to have you go through difficulty and trial and tribulation. I want you to do it in joy. I want you to rejoice because I want you to have an expectation in me that I'm good and I have good things for you. If that's what my perspective is, then I am going to look dramatically different from the rest of the world because that's not how they look. That's not how they think. And in submission to the Spirit, I'll be able to discern all the things that I'm going through. I was talking to a person one day years and years ago, and they went through a really difficult season. 
we were on the mission field. They were on the mission field. They were struggling, and we got together to pray for them, with them one day. And uh, the lady said that very thing. She said, I don't know how God would ever use this for his good. And I, and I said, I completely disagree with you. Not only, she said, I'll never know. I said, not only will God use this for, for good, but I believe down the road, hindsight's twenty twenty. I believe down the road, you are going to see how God uses this for good. So snap out of it. Don't be carnal. Submit yourself to God and the work of the Holy Spirit. What did he say? Teaches, but, but uh, not which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. He opened to instruction by the Spirit of God. Yeah. Open to instruction by the Spirit of God. Then you will have a glorious expectation. Of this salvation, verse 10, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. I love that verse in connection to whatever everything else that we've been looking at. And if you haven't yet, if you are a Bible marker, I would encourage you to circle that word right there, grace. There it is again. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. The prophets were under the law to one degree or another. They understood that there was a requirement to get to God. You get it? There's a requirement. Jesus fulfilled that requirement for you. And the prophets, the prophets searched and they looked and they saw coming. There was an expectation of the grace of God being poured out on mankind. They saw coming the, the goodness of God. And not just simply the word grace. but undeserved favor, undeserved favor by God. They prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And I don't hold a candle to the suffering that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through. You know that? You know, there's nothing to be compared. He was without sin, even resisted sinning to the shedding of his own blood. What does that mean? Is it possible that Jesus could have got out of it? I think that there is an absolute yes and no. It's so difficult. Father, take this cup from me, but if there's no other way, not my will be done, but thy will be done. the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And, and I love how the glories, glorious expectation, take note, <laughs> the glories always follow the suffering. That, that's good news, though. Don't be bummed out. <laughs> because the glories always follow the suffering. The resurrection from the dead cannot happen without first dying. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven 
things which angels desire to look into. The gospel is, is an incredible thing. Enigmatic, mysterious, the gospel is powerful. And I want you to take note, let's not just breeze over that verse. The gospel which was preached to you. Amen? You know, there's people going out all over the world. You, church, brothers and sisters, are going to go out this week. And my prayer for you with all of my heart is, God, give your church opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you guys know I have been all over the world and I've seen people doing humanitarian aid and I've seen people working with kids that need glasses and medical conditions and I've seen people being fed and I've seen people getting shoes and fresh water in Africa. I've seen it. I had a conversation with a missionary in Eastern Europe once and I said, how is, how is it possible for you in ministering to the physical needs of these people? How do you share the gospel? She said, oh, we don't share the gospel with them. I said, What? Who cares about the physical stuff? Who cares if their soul is lost and you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them? Why are you not doing it? We don't want to offend them. Get out of here. Who's your superior? Oh, we're all on the same page. If, if it wasn't for the, for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would not have been changed. If it wasn't for the word of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It makes me mad when I hear about people who are doing things in God's name, divorced from the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It makes me mad. Because those things, those are temporal, guys. They're just, they're going to come and they're going to go and, and somebody else in the name of somebody else is going to help them. But the ultimate divine help they need comes in the name of Jesus Christ, who was crucified, who bled, died, was buried, and rose from the grave. And they can't have a glorious expectation in God if the gospel is not presented to them. Now, if you think that I'm being over the top with that, I apologize, but this is serious, important stuff. There's nothing I can do that's going to benefit anybody divorced from the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing. You know, I, have a, I had a friend once uh, years ago who used to say, praise the Lord all the time. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Something happened, they'd say, praise the Lord. And somebody said, why do you always give God the credit for everything? And they said, because I'm nothing without the Lord in my life. Anything that comes from my life, anything good at all, anything all comes from the goodness of God. And if it wasn't for him, I would have nobody to praise. Definitely not myself. When we look at our lives through that lens, when we make adjustments to how we live based on that, you will be able to have joy inexpressible. You will be able to embrace the suffering, whatever it may be, and rejoice through the process, knowing that it's only for a little while and that it is necessary for you to go through. Those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Sorry for yelling at you guys. 
Things which angels desire to look into. It's so mysterious, God's process, that angels are looking down at you and they're like, oh man, this process, these guys are losers. How, how is God going to do this? He says, I'm going to do it. That's how it's going to happen. I'm going to do it. And the glorious gospel of Jesus to my people is going to reconcile them to me. And we can't get more into that verse, which we could dig a little deeper, but we need to move on. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that? That's hopeful expectation that is at rest. Restful expectation. Now, if you look at the Greek here or look at other translations, that word word rest there isn't there, but it's implied by the word for that hope. It's something that you have to settle down in, something that you have to embrace. There definitely is a picture in in the original language of, of resting in something, receiving something, right? And that's what God wants for your expectation He wants you to rest in Him. Hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what do you get, church? What do you get? You get grace on grace. You know what that means? That means you get unmerited favor by God upon unmerited favor by God. And you you experience and receive grace today in this season you're in and the next season and for the rest of your life. And then when Jesus is revealed, then you get more grace on top of that. Could you imagine? You guys are spoiled brats who need your diapers changed. You're hopefully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, we see we come full circle as obedient children. I have that in a special um, IBS sign that I have around that, as obedient children, because it brings us back to the original point about if need be and how we respond to difficulty in the context of whether it comes from God or whether we're just getting some bad luck. How many of you were children? You know the difference between obedient children and disobedient children? Oh, well, somebody said it in the first service, but I can't repeat it. Disobedient children need discipline. They need it. It's necessary. (laughs) So his instruction to us is, hey, you guys, Peter says, listen, church, I know it's hard. I know that it's difficult. Rejoice in the trial. Have expectation in God, glorious expectation in God. And, and, and also your response as you go through the process, be obedient, children. Seek to be obedient and say, what do you have for me? How can I submit myself to you? How can I be a spiritually minded person, a spirit-filled man, a spirit-filled woman walking in the spirit and therefore not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Now, the word lust connected to children, there's a disconnect because the two words in English, they don't kind of mash together. But would you say that children are lustful? Absolutely. We're not talking in the, in the sexual connotation. We're talking about things that they want. <laughs> do, do kids want things? Oh, man, don't take my kids to the store. 
Mommy, want that, want that, want that, want that. Don't ask dad. Because we're obedient children. We're <laughs> dad. He said, don't act like, like disobedient children. Don't act like uh, how you used to act, conforming yourselves to the, the former things that you wanted. What is he saying? Don't conform yourself to your past will for yourself. This is what I want. I want a cookie. And I'm going to get it. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I can understand this concept of holiness. I will confess to you that I used to not be able to understand it. I thought holiness was something that you attained. It was something that you earned. It was something that was granted. Uh, you know, like a, like a dead saint or something. They're, they're, they're viewed as holy, but this is not what the word holy means. In fact, you cannot attain holiness apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Holiness is separateness. It's being different. God says, I am different from everybody else. Is that a good thing? Yeah, God's unique. And he says, I am different. And I want you to be different too. I don't want you to look like how everybody else looks like. I want you to be with me. And he says, I am holy, so I want you to be holy as well. And there's a process of sanctification that we go through that demonstrates our separateness, that demonstrates our differentness. And usually the trials and tribulation have something to do with that as well. Does that make sense? I want you to be different. I take my kids out, and I love it. I love, love, love it. I take my kids out. We go out to eat or whatever, and I always get compliments on them. They're always, they, they, people are always like, your kids are so good. They're so well-behaved. And, and I say the same thing every time. I say, I beat them, which isn't true. I don't, but it, they think it's funny, so I say it. Um, but the honest answer is, I'm holy, so I want my kids to be holy. I'm different, so I teach my kids. Hey, kids, this is who we are. This is how we act. This is what we do. This is how we minister, we bless, and we love others. And because that's what they're taught, that's what comes out. All glory to God. Because if I wasn't in the Lord, it would be a different story. Be following after my own lusts. And that would be demonstrated to my kids. And then my kids would be doing the same thing. Be like, oh, dad does what he wants. I, I'm going to do what I want. It's not how it works. Let's go through those seven points in closing, and then I'll wrap it up for you this morning. If you're a note taker and you didn't already jot them down, we have them here on the screen. Number one, though, for, though now for a little while, Take heart. I know that you think that it's going to be forever. It's not. It's just going to be for a little bit. Number two, is it necessary? If you're in the season, is it necessary? Yes, it's necessary. If you are submitted to God and you love him, then it's necessary. If you're not, then you should submit yourself to him so that it becomes necessary and it's not in vain, okay? Number three, grieved by various trials. Your grief through the process is going to bear something glorious. And that's not an empty pro promise. 
your grief through the various trials is going to bear something glorious. Number four, the genuineness of your faith is going to be proved. Number five, more precious than gold, which is temporary and perishes. Number six, which is tested by fire, which if it's tested by fire and has value, how much more should we be tested to be proven to have value? Number seven, may be found to praise, honor, and the glory at Jesus' revelation. That is the fruit of our faith. Praise, honor, and glory. If you truly believe God is working in your life, then it will come out of your mouth. (laughs) There's no, you know, like subtle nod. I knew that was you, God. Right on. No, no. There's an, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That principle applies across the board. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Today, I thank you, God, that we could be confident in our expectation because you have seen it as necessary to go through the things that we go through. You've seen it as necessary. And in that necessity, we submit ourselves to you, the work of your Holy Spirit today, and we more fully embrace than we did before, hopefully, this glorious expectation that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Two two things. Number one, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all, okay? It's just stating the facts. If you have no clue what I'm talking about this morning, then you might be that 1 Corinthians 2.15 carnal man. That's just living for yourself. You don't have hope and you don't have any real expectations out of life. Because, here's the key, you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And if that's you this morning, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You have an opportunity right now to make that decision. So while everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed, if that's you and and you want to make a public profession of faith that you believe that you are a sinner, that you can confess your sin and repent, and I'm telling you, you can be reconciled to God and understand the process he's taking you through in life, If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. Raise your hand up high so we can pray together. I see your hands. Anybody else? Father, I lift up these, my brother and sister, and and I just ask God that you would cleanse them of their sins by the profession of faith in your son, Jesus Christ. That the key to the gospel, the good news, is our recognition of our state and repentance. Father, these, I pray, would repent and receive your son, Jesus, as their personal Savior so that they can receive the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. For the rest of you guys, I know that you can identify with me when I talk about hope. I know that you know what I'm saying when I talk about our culture and society and how it seems so hopeless right now. 
And I know you and I both agree that, that it can be easy to kind of get off track because we're surrounded by this hopelessness. I had a dear sister come up to me after the first service crying. She said, I did exactly what you were talking about. I just got off track a little and thought I'd be fine. And then I'm, I'm, in, I'm lumped in with the rest of them in hopelessness. If that's you this morning and you want to readjust back to having a glorious expectation in God, I want to pray for you too. So in boldness, as everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, raise your hand up if I can pray for you to have hope, to have expectation in God. Anybody else? Father, I pray for these. God, in, in boldness, have responded to you, to your spirit teaching us this morning that we want to be in a daily place of expectation in you. We want to be in a daily place of hope. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. Restore to them the joy of their salvation. Thank you for this perspective through your word, for readjusting what we should be looking at in life, God. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name.